the Holy Gospel is taken from the 25th chapter of Matthew. Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Who here likes to wait? Let me just see a show of hands. Yeah, Pastor Laurie, but, you know, us roster people are kind of strange anyway, aren't we? Yeah. We don't like to wait, do we? We live in a culture, as you know, that seems addicted to immediate gratification. I mean, how many of us gripe when our Amazon order takes two days instead of one? I mean, some of us may even wish we were in those big cities where it was delivered within an hour. That's just crazy to me. We're we don't like to wait. We're likely to downgrade our restaurant waiting, our restaurant rating if we have to wait too long for our food. I've had members tell me in the past that they would never, ever again wait in a line because they had stood in so many lines so many times in their military service. They were done with that kind of waiting. As patient as I try to be, I find waiting difficult too. Brenda can tell you stories about me not being able to wait for the proper item needed for a repair at the house and how my attempt without waiting made the problem worse and more expensive. <laughs> I hear some knowing laughs around here, huh? <laughs> waiting for bridal parties is hard for me too. When I'm officiating a wedding, I just can't stand in the narthex and wait for everybody to get there. I'm out in the halls rounding them up, lining them up so we can start on time because that's important. Just can't stand and wait. 
Waiting at the bedside of a seriously ill or dying loved one can be indescribably hard. Yet even this difficult waiting can become a sacred time for us. Some of us probably remember the uh, old famous Heinz ketchup commercial all about waiting where the little girl's sitting there with her grandmother and got the bottle of ketchup and it won't come out and Carly Simon's song Anticipation comes on, keeping me waiting and finally it comes out. How many of you have been like me, either stuck a knife up in there to get it out or banged on the bottom and your burger just gets covered in ketchup? Not quite like the neat flow in the commercial, but it's hard to wait. Whether we're waiting on something good or, or something that we dread, waiting's rarely, if ever, easy, is it? But it's not just limited to our time, our generation. I mean, just flip through the Psalms. There's at least 20 times where the writer of Psalms is lamenting about waiting, waiting for God to arrive, waiting for God to correct this injustice, waiting for God to help. Today's parable about waiting bridesmaids was recorded for a community of believers who were waiting. Matthew's community was caught in an incredibly stressful period of waiting. As Jewish Christians, they understood themselves to be a part of the Jewish faith. And when Matthew wrote his gospel, it was in the mid-80s. So we're ten, about a little over a decade since the Romans had devastated, decimated the temple in Jerusalem. And that loss of the place for worship for the Jews threw their sacrificial worship system in disarray. No longer did they have that place to go for the sacrifices for atonement and other festival days and times in life. So they were figuring that out. That trauma was still real for Matthew's community. But more significant for Matthew's community, I think, was that it was now 50 years since Jesus had ascended. They had been waiting for his return 50 long, tumultuous years. 50 years of being persecuted, enduring persecution by the Romans and by the Jews. It was hard. It was probably harder than waiting those three days when Jesus lay in the tomb before his resurrection. Waiting expectantly for the return of Jesus was hard. When would he return? No doubt there were those that tracked, as Jesus had predicted, the end times, had tracked wars and storms and persecutions and natural disasters and so forth, thinking, wondering, is this event, is this the time? Is he going to come now? And we've had people through the years do the same thing, haven't we? Is this the sign that redemption is at hand? Is this the time Jesus will return in power as promised and make everything right? Waiting expectantly. Waiting faithfully to greet Jesus was hard, no doubt. And so Matthew records some parables of Jesus and groups them together, parables about waiting to address 
his community's spiritual crisis. Just before the parable we read today at the end of Matthew 24 is a parable where slaves were entrusted with caring for the master's affairs in the household while the owner was away, apparently. And we are told that the blessed one waits faithfully by completing his duties, paying the bills, seeing that the other slaves were fed, and so forth. And yet, there was a wicked one who raided the owner's wine cellar and binged on the wine, getting drunk, neglecting his responsibilities, even abusing the other slaves. One waited faithfully, one didn't. And that one that didn't was punished when the owner returned. Following our parable is one of, a well-known one about the parable of the talents. There were three slaves, as you know, entrusted with the master's wealth. Suffice it to say, they waited for the master to return in different ways as well. Two invested, one sat on it, hid it for fear of the master. They all waited as they deemed appropriate. The master seemed to be more pleased with two than one who fell short of his expectations. Today we see ten bridesmaids, ten young teenage girls waiting for the bridegroom to come. In my limited knowledge about the wedding customs of that time, the bridesmaids likely would have been outside the bride's house, waiting for the groom to come from his house there to, after having completed all the arrangements, not just for the party, but for the arranged marriage, to pick up his bride, and then they would escort the bride and groom across through the village back to the bridegroom's house for the big celebration. They would have participated in that procession, lighting the way with their lamps or torches. But the bridegroom's inexplicably delayed, and the wait grows long and longer and longer. And as the hour gets late, all ten of them fall asleep. But suddenly they're awakened to cries that the bridegroom's coming. Get up, get ready. Those hours of waiting created a crisis for them. As the bridegroom was approaching, their lamps were beginning to flicker. Their oil is low. The light of the lamps may not last all the way through the village for the procession. What do they do? How do they wait now? So this oil crisis is a decision point in their waiting. And they basically made that choice already, haven't they? Do they jump up from their dozing and dash off to find more oil? I mean, what was the likelihood of that? I don't think 24-hour uh, Wally Worlds had been invented yet. Maybe the only realistic source was to wind through the streets of the village back to their house and get oil there and then come back. Or did they prepare to wait however long that wait might be by bringing additional oil? And we already know five prepared and five didn't. The urgency of needing oil transformed the waiting for the five foolish bridesmaids into a panicked dash about town to find more. And their harried search caused them to miss the procession. They completely missed the party. They were not even recognized by the groom when they knocked on the door. But the five wise maidens, those who came with additional oil, 
had waited with a clarity of purpose, the purpose to endure however long that wait might be, they were not going to miss this party, which was usually the biggest one in the village and often as long as seven days. And because of their preparation to accomplish their purpose, ushering the wedding party through the town to the big party, they didn't need to run out and seek oil in a panic at midnight. This parable is richly instructive for us today, but I I, I want to highlight how the wise bridesmaids teach us that waiting is an act of faith. They came prepared to wait however long it took for the bridegroom to get there. They waited calm, not panicked, unwavering in their faith. They did doze off. They all did. But they waited. They didn't leave confident that the bridegroom and his entourage would come. They waited faithfully to be sure that they could share in that promised future wedding celebration. So how does it inform our lives today, our lives of faith? How is it instructive for us, we who have been waiting not 50 years, but 2,000 and counting for Christ to return to establish His kingdom in all its glory? Clearly, we want to be like the wise bridesmaids. We want to be faithfully waiting, fully prepared to wait until Christ does return at the end of time precisely as he has promised. I think our waiting calls for faithful living with a living faith. Faithful living with a living faith. A living faith clings to hope, clings to the inspiration, the certainty, the hope at the end of time that sustains us that Jesus will in fact return, that his reign of justice, love, peace, and inclusion will truly happen. Whenever God determines, the time is right. Living faith looks beyond this world's brokenness of sin, warfare, the pettiness, the the might-makes-right attitudes, the self-centered focus of what's in it for me that seems to drive so much in our world. We look beyond that with our living faith to the end, the certainty that Jesus will come, that Jesus has not abandoned us, nor will he ever forget or abandon us. That was his promise at the end of Matthew. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So living faith waits for that. But we do that by faithfully living. So faithful living. We can look at Scripture for that guide as as well we do. We can start with the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as you love yourself. We can look back at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus expounds on the values of the kingdom of God. Whoops. As Jesus expounds on the values of God's reign when it comes in all its glory, beginning with those reversals that we looked at in the Beatitudes a few weeks ago. The Old Testament also is very instructive as they call out the faithlessness of God's people and call us to live as God expects. Look at the gracious guidance God gives in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 
for our relationship with God and one another. Or Micah 6, verse 8, the familiar passage. God has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to walk love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And the passage we read from Amos this morning also gives us guidance, spoken to a people who were just going through the motions of worship, just empty worship. Amos calls them out, saying, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. Faithful living, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God doesn't want empty words or rote motions in worship. God expects us to live actively pursuing God's gracious will for all of creation to be signs of that end-time hope even now. We're all waiting for something or someone, aren't we? Sometimes are easier than others. In the embattled and violence-filled places of our world like Ukraine, South Sudan, Nigeria, Guatemala, Syria, and Palestine, we are waiting for those prophecies about justice and peace, spears being beaten into plowshares and peace for all residents to be fulfilled. We may be waiting for a loved one to return home or to recover from an illness. We may be waiting on that word about a new job or promotion or admission to that preferred university. Maybe you're waiting to call that next new senior pastor. Overarching all of those and whatever other temporal, worldly kind of waiting that we have, today's parable of the ten bridesmaids calls us to faithful waiting for that certain promise, the ultimate hope of we who follow Jesus that Christ will return. And all the faithful from every nation will be gathered and welcomed into that eternal wedding feast with Christ and the faithful of every time and every place. This certain hope in Christ's return sustained Matthew's community in the midst of their persecutions. As we wait faithfully, this same hope, this same promise sustains us through whatever lies ahead in our lives of faith, individually and as a community. Amen.